McNulty stunning for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Bobby fans and welcome to the Four Class episode 108. Well it was a draw against Crew, but Pompey are still in a good position to make the playoffs. Joining me on the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you Andy? Hi Hugh, not too bad thank you mate. How are you keeping? I'm keeping alright. You look like you've had a really cool haircut though mate here and I'm, I'm still rocking the caveman vibe on here, you know, almost akin to Freddie's beard. It's, it's a bit crazy, yeah, my hair's actually short. Going to, going to a pub tomorrow, going to a pub in London, like leaving the county. I'm first time outside of Oxfordshire since probably maybe the Pompey game in December, maybe just after that, yeah. First time leaving the county, I'm buzzing. So yeah, got a little barnet trim. It's not quite as tragic as it was. Thank you for pointing it out. That's a self-confidence boost for the evening. Appreciate it, Bunce. You should do. And that's, I know what to do, mate. That's why I'm the host. And uh, bringing him in, Freddie, that's, that's not really a, a homeless beard, as I was trying to point out. He's a hipster beard. How are you, son? <laughs> it's a bit of a hipster here. As usual, it needs to be shaved shorter. But yeah, I'm doing well. I'm, I will be going somewhere else tomorrow. I'll be going into the centre of York tomorrow, which I haven't done for God knows how long. So that'll be nice. And yeah, everything's going okay. Pulse of results, I'd say they're mixed, I think. We'll go into those a bit more. By definition, Fred, there's been wins, losses and draws in the last three games. So, yeah, by <laughs> definition, spicy, very mixed. That's it, spicy take. Hot take. Oh, wow. <laughs> Hot take for the day. <laughs> and thanks for joining us on the PO forecast next week. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I should probably say on that, apologies for not recording last week. I was literally dying and could not talk into a microphone. Hang on, mate. Li- literally dying. Is that what we're going with? Really? Literally yeah, well, died. Resur- resurrected from the dead. Um, back in, back to give uh, on the airwaves to give you guys uh, the show this week. An Easter miracle, mate. It's not just Jesus that rose again. Oh, we've probably just offended like half the listeners there. But yeah. He, 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 he was, was sick ri- in public, to be fair. He so was risen again at Easter. <laughs> Other religions are available. First of all, we're going to review the game against Burton. Following on from that, we're going to review the really exciting action-packed game against Crew. On from that, we asked you guys, is John Marquess the man to fire us to the playoffs? And finally, we're speaking to Liam from the MK1 podcast. He returns to the show, proper legend, and we're going to tell you everything you need to know for the game about Milton Keynes Dons. Right, let's get into it. First of all, it's not the sexy bit of the show, but it's Burton Albion, everyone. A sexy team with a long throw, Rory Delat rubbish that was going into the centre. I mean, it took an age every time they picked the ball up and... Unfortunately, though, one of those went in, Andy. Yeah, you can't really criticise it when it's so effective, right? I mean, there's a there's a podcast, the Quickly Kevin podcast. It's like got Josh Widdicombe on 90s football, and they've got a thing about long throws and kind of loving them. And I actually, I've got a soft spot in my heart for them when they're not being used by Burton against us. Um, 
yeah, that first goal, I think it's a sort of a, a combination of factors that led to us conceding that goal in that obviously it was the closing down. It was that high press that Burton <clears throat> gave us difficulty with over the course of the whole game that led to the mistake that gave away the throw. And I think from memory, I think it was our back four being put under pressure from the high press. And I think it was Raggett's played it out for a throw in from memory. Um, and then, yeah, obviously I was, I was watching back and the, the concern for me for that, for that first goal was that obviously it was a bit of pinball in the box and we could have cleared it a couple of times. But it was the fact that there were a couple of Burton players who had the opportunity there to sort of unmanned score. So if that if that first volley hadn't been hit by the Burton player, the guy who ended up having the rebound cleared off the line by Johnson, he would have had a free header at it as well, even if the first ball hadn't gone to Burton. So it's not as if it was just one player lost their man. It was multiple, you know, multiple Burton players getting free in the box. Um, having said that, yeah, a bit of a melee you're going to concede goals like that realistically. It's hard to prepare for the the long throw because it's not something you really focus on in training too much of the time. It's not really a big, potent weapon. And uh, then, yeah, second goal, not a free kick. Like It's a very harsh decision against Raggett, who makes a perfectly good challenge. And again, it's one of those goals where you just say, okay, good hit. You can't really criticise the wall. You can't really criticise the goalkeeper, although one of you might be about to. I don't think you can. And you just sort of take your hat off and say, yeah, decent finish. I wish that hadn't happened against us. Let's go back to the first goal because I just want to say that, and Andy, I do think you're correct to a certain level. If things move very quickly in those areas and the ball gets bombarded in and it can be easy for us to look at that and go, okay, you know, in slow motion, you should have done this, you should have done that. If we're being extra picky, I think Callum Johnson should have done better at the back post, getting the ball away. It kind of comes off him. and But again, it was very fast. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. I totally agree. We're we're sort of looking at the minutiae of this from slow motion replays and multiple angles. Absolutely, yeah. That's you know the nature of commenting on football, right? It's a lot a lot easier said than done, and it's very different when you are in that six yard box with a split second with two players in your peripheral vision, both going in different directions. You make a judgment call in a literally a heartbeat where to go. Yeah, I completely agree. But we're here to you know the in depth dissection of of play we normally put together here. So. Yeah, that's what we're here to do, right? Oh, yeah, I do. I do that. I do. I, uh, Freddie, I'm just going to say this, though. We're going at half time. You know, Burton got the goal. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, he, you know, he's loving life as, as he's going along. However, do you not think that the, the real problem here was that Portsmouth were known now to playing the ball out the back and didn't really find a way through Burton pressing it at all? So there's no point passing sideways if you're not getting into the right positions further forward, enabling Portsmouth to pass the ball out. Yeah, but the certain Pompey players were very uncomfortable, and it was the same in the next game we're going to talk about as well. Sean Braggett, Sean Braggett the pass to the fullback that was astray, which led to the long throw-in. Tom Naylor, again, not, not a strong passer of the ball going forward, so progress the ball as well as they should do. It's a bit, it's slightly unfair since again, this is only what, like the fourth or fifth game they would have played under that system. So obviously, you have to give them time to get used to playing that way out of the back again. But no, Burton pressed really well. I really liked how Fondit played up front for Burton. He was a handful the entire time he was on. I think there was a, a direct ball through to him. He was, he, was, he was running into the penalty area and he held off both close and Naylor at the same time. It's always difficult when you have. A, stri- a striker like that and very physical forwards pressing you like that as well. And Portsmouth struggled and, and they also struggled when the second goal went in and Burton 
sat back and almost had played a six at the back where their midfielders tucked in as well. Very, very difficult. I expected the team to come out at some more energy in the second half in this game against Burton. I felt like they did. I felt like we committed more men forward as the game went on. Maybe a little bit too late. I think maybe we should have tried to put a few more bodies forward, drawn defenders out a little bit more. That's a focal point up front. I think Curtis struggled against Burton's shape, especially when they went more defensive, when they went 2-0 up. And obviously, you're always, you're always going to struggle being arguably the lone striker, especially when a team plays a low block like that, where they have a thick defensive line and they drop deep. It's always going to be very hard to have enough space to be able to do anything. But yeah, I think that was, again, one of the reasons where Portsmouth couldn't create as much as they should have done in the second half after the screamer. Yeah, it's not it's not one, isn't it, Fred? I think it's, it was one of those games where, I, on the balance of play, I'd normally expect that game to potentially be a draw. I don't know what the XG were, but my my gut from watching it was that you'd normally expect that type of game to, to be a point. Because it wasn't, you know... Yeah, the, the XG was even. The yeah, XG that, that was even. It was okay. 1.23 to Portsmouth, 1.25 to Burton. Okay, yeah, so that, that sort of marries up with what I thought watching it visually. But, I mean, it, it, there's, I don't want this to be sort of an overreactionary... You know, obviously, it isn't from us, but it wasn't a dreadful performance by any stretch. It didn't set the world alight, but coming in the back off the back of uh, four wins... It wasn't as if things suddenly went to pot and it was a dreadful performance. It wasn't by any stretch of the imagination. I think more often than not, we draw that game. It was just a bit of a, it was a frustrating one. And again, as you said, Fred, similar to the, the next game, it was a kind of a what if afternoon where it was reasonably solid, not spectacular. You can't expect every single game to set the set the world alight. And it's just a pity that we couldn't take a point out of it. Because as you say, that last 30 minutes or last 35 minutes when Pompey are knocking on the door, Portsmouth didn't win the game because Burton outplayed them, most likely. Pressed aggressively where, when when the result was even. Got 2-0 ahead. Yes, how many times is, is an opposition player going to score a screamer like that? Fine. But they defended exceptionally well, even though they conceded. They defended exceptionally well when they went 2-0 up. And again, it's always difficult when you're the more attacking side playing through a low block when they put eight men behind the ball. You either have to play through them, which is incredibly difficult, and use your movement to create space, which I thought the Pompey players were either fatigued or they weren't playing on the front foot as they should have done. Their final ball was a bit iffy, so that didn't really work. Um, so they did the opposite of what they could have done and looked to the wide areas to stretch the defensive line, and that's where Portsmouth's goal from Daniels came from. Deflected cross in from the left-hand side, which Portsmouth always looked for the wide areas to try and stretch that defensive line and find a gap. And Daniels found a gap that time. It was a shame it was really too late for Portsmouth to get the two-all draw. But yeah, frustra- in a nutshell, frustrating result. But I thought Portsmouth were second best for, for that game, really. It's important to remember that you know this wasn't a gimme by any stretch of the imagination. If you look at results since Christmas, Burton would be very high up in the table since Hasselbank's taken over. Uh, they'd be second in the table if it was um, purely results since, since Christmas or since the new year. And they've not lost away from home as yet in 2021. So it's all very well saying, oh, yeah, but Portsmouth should be beating Burton now, being they're a bigger team. It's it's not really how football works. They're, they are not mugs at this point in the season. Playing them in August or September is very different to playing them in April now. So I think we just need to take that with a sort of a bit of context as well and, and not be too reactionary to it. 
Exactly. And if you look at results before us, Burton won 2-1 against Swindon, beat us 2-1. And in the game against Doncaster, they won uh, 3-0 as well. So you can just see they're on a little bit of a run. They know how to play and Hasselbank knows how to get results. And he knows the club as well. So he's coming. It's not a big mystery. He's doing well at Burton Albion and I won't be surprised to see them up in the top half of the table next season doing well rather than where they are now. Let's transition into the next game now because, hey ho, that was a loss. Let's move on. To the game where there was little going on in the first half, let's be honest. When you look online, there was a couple of snoring gifts. There was, you know, it was it was quite a boring game to watch. And this was just a game of chess that sort of the two teams cancelled each other out a little bit. Crew, who are a very good passing team generally, and it just got absolutely whooped the game before, came out with absolute resilience to change that. And both Pompey and Crew never really got going in the first half, did they, Andy? No, it wasn't the most exciting first 45 minutes. It was, I think it was difficult to get any momentum really going. I think Pompey started pretty well. Like the first five minutes, first five to 10-ish minutes was was actually pretty pretty nice start to the game. But then that flow got interrupted by the, I think it was the head injury first to the crew player. Because there were, what, six minutes of added time at the end of the first half because of two injuries to crew players. And I do, I do think those made quite a difference in terms of not being able to get ahead of steam going and it broke up the game a lot. But yeah, Pompey started pretty well and then it just turned into quite a sort of, I don't want to use the word drab, but I'm going to. It was a fairly drab first half. It was very pedestrian. They cancelled each other out, absolutely. And you, you could see that obviously both teams were coming off the back of fairly bad results in the, in, in the last round of games. And obviously both of them want to come in and make a point. But at the same time, both teams are also a little bit reluctant to, you know, throw too much forward and risk having back-to-back dreadful results. So there were definitely some nerves on display from both sides, and it was a very yeah, cancelling each other out kind of first half. On to the second half, though, the bit where the a little bit more action happened. Let's be honest with ourselves. Watching the game again, it's difficult to say, Freddie. But why do you think Pompey weren't able to break down Crew in that second half? except for the penalty, which we'll come on to. Uh, I just... Um, it, some games, you, you get these sorts of games, especially at football league level, where the main thing that seems to be missing is just the last part of the attacking play, whether it's the final pass to the striker or the final cross, or whether it's that pass from the defensive line that that, that, that splits the opposition defence a bit. It, it, it just seemed a bit... That was the thing for me. The final ball wasn't right. And there were a lot of players who were struggling technically in terms of the build-up play, I thought. I don't think the pitch helped because uh, that was mentioned a lot, the pitch being bobbly and woeful. But again, most of the pitches are in this division considering that the teams are trying to save money and so on. But yeah, I think that was the main thing. The XG was inflated mainly due to Marcus's free chances, which sure go into a lot more later and that was our question for the podcast um but no the build-up play for me wasn't good enough i don't think we, we tried to pressure crew according to the stats anyway but i don't think we did nearly enough when we were watching it and yeah it just it, it compared to the first few games i just thought the players weren't forward thinking enough and whether that's due to fatigue just multiple games there are lots of variables for that and it and yeah they were they see they seem to be not clicking and connected enough compared to the first few results we've seen. 
I think the thing for me really was rather than just sort of trying to go around, you know, what it was, what's going in, it was quite simple from my perspective and people weren't making the right runs. People weren't, people weren't opening up space for each other, which they were doing, say the first half against Ipswich or something like that. When players are making those movements and those runs, for me, there's a few reasons why you look at when Bayern close picks the ball up and a few times he did really well, in my opinion, I don't know why people are criticizing him to skip past a few players and make a run through the centre of midfield, that's when you want to look up as a midfielder and see, all right, I cannot not pass that to Freddie Webb. He's in absolute goals of space. What a run by Andy Mitchell to drag the players away. That's what you sort of need, and that's what was happening before. That's not been happening. Now, I'm a little bit concerned that, you know, I know he got a goal the other day, but Charlie Daniels, Andy, at left back, he's not providing the same amount of forward oomph that Lee Brown was providing with Ronan Curtis on that side or Michael Jacobs or whoever was playing on the left wing, I think the balance of the team seems very out of whack now without a fullback on the left-hand side who's pushing forward and creating that width and those wide triangles. Is it the time to start Harvey White at left-back? Bow, 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 is what I'm saying. Get Charlie Daniels out for now. Nice bloke, not fitting what we're trying to do. And let's bring in Harvey White who can play left-back and add some pace, particularly, and we'll come on to it against MK Dons. I definitely agree that losing out or losing Lee Brown is a massive hit. I think having that Brown Jacobs partnership on the left, losing both of them is, yes, yeah, it's, it's a huge blow to the team in terms of both fitting into the system quite nicely as to how the Cowleys seem like they want to play. I throw in, throw in Harvey in a, um, at left back, it's a big shout at you. I think <clears throat> with the table as it is, that's a big risk when everything is coming down to individual points. I think it's unlikely we'll see it. Um, obviously, with Daniels, we've got dead balls, sort of a dead ball specialist there, which makes a difference um, in certain situations. And it's, again, it, you, you're reluctant to critique too much when he scored the goal, but I do think that you could you notice the difference with him starting at, or playing at left-back compared to Lee Brown uh, in terms of the potency going forward, absolutely. I, I don't know if I'd go straight into starting Harvey White at, Left yeah, back. starting starting a nineteen year old who's five foot ten at left back in this division, considering the teams we're going to be end up playing against is ooh. I think that's a the wow. good it's a good sort of shout yeah. for people like us as as fans to say, Oh, that'd be a really good thing to do when we, there's no real like no, accountability no. for it. I don't, I don't know if I'd have so. No, not in this game. Charlie Daniels has been slow getting forward, slow tracking back. His his touch hasn't been great. I'm not not trying to he hasn't played a lot of football recently. Lee Brown's been in there. When you're a little bit older sometimes, it does take a while to get your legs going, etc. I've been pretty unimpressed with him since he's come back into the side, to be of to be honest. Harvey White's played left back, left wing back, etc. for a lot of you football if needed. I'm pretty confident he can play in that position. And when you look at who he's going to come up against against MK Dons, and I'm really skipping ahead here, but they've got Ethan Laird on loan from Man United on the right, who tears up people with his pace. Um, I'd be tempted to put a younger, smaller again player against someone like that who can cover that and I'm not worried about his size in that section and in, in that I'm much more worried about him being absolutely ripped apart by one of the youngest fastest wide players in the league I think it will depend on who Paul's playing against like you mentioned I think White could set up okay against NK Dons but in future games if Danny Cowley thinks that White's an option at left back while Brown's injured yeah swap between the two depending on who the teams are. And yeah, I haven't been impressed by Charlie Daniels either, but Portsmouth don't have many options at any position really at the moment. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, so as far as that, that could be a way you guys aren't sold on it with Hugh's hot, spicy hot take for that. However, we do need to find a way of passing the ball out a little bit more efficiently and getting the movement going. Because in this game against Crew, Pompey did create chances though, didn't they? Come on, let's be, let's be fair enough. We'll come on to the Marquis misses, but I mean, close he had a chance in the centre, didn't he? Where he didn't quite take it. Do you feel that on another day this would have been a 3-0 win then? And then we would have been just chalking up the plaudits to it, Andy? Yeah, I think what, what you guys were saying earlier, I disagreed with a little bit. You're talking about us struggling to make chances in the second half. I think, again, I talked about earlier on, on, on average, what you'd expect the result to be of the game. I think if you played that game exactly as it was 10 times, I think Pompey are winning the majority of them. And there's obviously frustration because we weren't able to finish off the chances and it wasn't as sort of pretty to watch necessarily in that sort of quick football we got in the in the first couple of games. I think it was Ipswich and Shrewsbury, wasn't it? The first couple of games possibly, and then Rochdale um, uh, under the Cowley's tenure. But we did create quite a lot in the second half. The crew keeper had a really good game. Like If you aside from the, the penalty save, which was a solid enough save, but it was a poor penalty, he made one or two, re- he made two that I can think of, excellent saves. One sort of scrabbling across his line to the far post and one from that deflected Curtis effort. On a normal day, one of those goes in, I think. And again, I, I'm not being too reactionary about these results because I think more often than not, we draw that first game. More often than not, we win that second game. So it's obviously disappointing to get one point from six, but they did create chances in the second half and they were potent enough going forward to create those chances against a team who were really, honestly, pretty happy on paper to come away with a point. It was the lack of cutting edge that frustrated people, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and, the, and, and the XG supports you, Andy, actually, with Portsmouth's XG being 2.32 for that game, which was higher than the Burton game. And Marcus's chance, chances only accounted for just under half of that. So, so what, other um, Freddie, players, what, what, um, what proportion of that total XG is the penalty? Uh, 0.7 off the top of my head. I'll double check it for you. Okay, so even yeah. without the penalty, we were expected to score one and a half goals out of the other chances we've created. Yes, okay, roughly. I think. I think for me though, the real thing is it's disappointing. Is that they have you're talking about the goalkeeper? They've got Jasko Linen in goal. I don't rate him as a goalkeeper. I've seen him before. I don't think he's a very good keeper. And he really was a case of making that first save, put some confidence into him. However, Pompey did this thing where they just needed to get a few more shots through on goal and the keeper who's lacking confidence. Crew were talking about all their keepers being rubbish and having to try and find someone to come in and, you know, what's going on. Don't rate Jasko Linen. We've made him look good with a couple of deflected saves. I don't think a keeper had a stormer in that game. And I think that if we put a few more uh, chances on goal, it might have been the case that one of those would have gone in, even if it was a a chance which you might think isn't usually going to go in against a top quality keeper. Someone more like Craig McGivery, for instance. Let's transition out of this, though, and let's go into the next part of the show because we asked you, and thank you again for messaging in, do you think John Marquis is the man to lead this team to the playoffs and ultimately to the championship? We'll start with the chances in this game because I know that some people have put pressure on him and, oh, you know, get him out or whatever. I don't think that's fair at all. He's only just come back into the team. But Freddie Webb, who do you think could replace John Marquis up front? Or is it just a case of us sitting on our hands and praying that John turns it round and becomes the striker in front of goal that we all know he can be? This season, I don't think there's anybody to replace him, really. We tried Curtis up front. He did okay on one game, but then struggled in the other two. For me personally, I think he plays better on the left wing, cutting inside. Um, 
it is frustrating for Marquis, and I understand why people are getting on his back at the moment, um, because this is one of a number of games where, quite simply, he didn't take his chances. And on paper, if you're looking at a striker in League One who cost more than a million pound, you would expect you would expect your striker to take more chances. And it was the same to a certain extent last season as well. He's had a better season this season, despite everything, I think. But statistically, he is not up there with Charlie Wyke, Johnson Clark Harris, etc. And he is under he's underperforming his expected goals. I know people will laugh at that, but that um, supports the idea that he's been out of form this season. He's got the second highest differ- differential of expected goals. He's scored 14, whereas his XG is 17.22. Yes, he takes penalties. So that inflates it a bit because obviously you you back anybody to score from a penalty but it shows that he's out of form and Danny Cowley was talking in the week about him needing injections in his ankle and a lot of things are going against Marcus at the moment but considering that Portsmouth don't have many options many other options as a centre forward this season with Harrison injured and Huula injured you've just <laughs> you've just got to back him I think I don't think there's many other options Freddie, I don't, I don't know if you've got these hands, to, uh, these stats to hand. So sorry to put you on the spot, but you said his xG there for the season. How does his xG compare to other players? Because I, I'm just wondering if his xG is high because he gets into really good positions, and then his sort of his the sport was the word you used. The proportion of his xG he actually scores is lower because he gets himself in so many positions that. Like he's having more chances than other players, uh, but scoring a lower proportion. I do, I, I do have the spreadsheet. I, I do have the spreadsheet up, so I'll tell you. Um, I'll use Johnson Clark Harris as an example because he's top goal scorer. He's got 27 goals, league goals this season. This is all league stats, this, according to Scout, and his XG is 26.41. So he's scoring just over what he should be. Um, I'll give you another example that's a bit different. Where's Charlie White? He's not on my thing. There he is. So Charlie White's 24 goals. His XG is 17.6. Now, That's you can look at that. You, 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 is you, you can look at that in multiple ways. You can look at it on him just going on a tear, and you, you can doubt whether he's a good striker or not. Or you could look at it and saying he's scoring from worse chances. And if you look at it, and if you look back at his goals, he scores a lot of headers, which in XG is generally weighted as lower than, say, a one-on-one shot, for example. So uh, John Marcus's XG is healthy. He's, uh, in my opinion, reading into it, he's getting into the right positions, but not scoring enough. Yeah, um, I think it's, I think that's fair. I think when you look at XG, it's just a way of saying, hey, that's been flagged up or down. It's lower than or or more than you expected. If it's about the same as John Clark Harris is saying, as Freddie said about Clark Harris, that's quite easy to see. He's getting those chances and he's putting them away. He, he's scoring at the level he's been provided, and that's good. That's tick tick. Charlie White, I'll be honest, I I don't believe the hype. I don't believe the hype. I know he's looking great in this in this side of the season. You know, if you get Aidan McGeady putting these balls in constantly to uh, yeah, it, it, to, to it, someone yeah, else, his like, his, his, sco- his scoring ratio literally started as soon as Johnson put McGeady in. And exactly, he's he's getting the right service, and he, and yes, even though his xG is lower and he's scoring a lot of headers, he's still getting the service put forward to him. He even is. Though 
is. And he's yeah. getting the service put forward to him on his head where he's good at, which is a lower rate, Andy. So that's why his XG is different. John Marcus, on the other hand, is getting quality chances like we're seeing. And he unfortunately, he's just, he's just not scoring as many as you'd expect someone to score in those positions. And you could actually say maybe even more, if you wanted to be a bit more critical, more than you'd expect from someone of Marcus's pedigree. Yeah. All right, let's just quickly move on because we've got to go through the comments here. Finley messages in. Cheers, Finley. Uh, John's clearly a, a striker that relies on confidence, but I feel like he's never got that form. We all know he had at Doncaster. Really hope under some new management he excels. No one can deny he was a great signing. Just waiting for him to live up to his expectations. There's been a lot of roadblocks put in front of him over the past two seasons, I think. Um, especially when he came in. There was that period where he was playing in midfield, where, which we'll never speak of ever again, thank God, and I hope it doesn't happen again. Um, there was the period where he was treated as the target man, the side not playing to his strengths in terms of how, uh, of where his goals come from, because it was obvious at NK Dons, he thrived on counter-attacking football and, and through balls into space and low crosses to him. He was decent in the air, but not good enough for a Kenny Jacket side, for example. And then this season, uh, um, he he looked he didn't look sharp at all in this game. Um, maybe and maybe there's two ways of looking at it. You think, oh, he should be sharp. He had his rest. He had three games off because of the red card. So that's where all the pressure came on him. But he he did look off the pace for me. His t- his touch was a problem in this game and has been all season. And yeah, he didn't have that cutting edge for me personally. And. Yeah, considering that, again, we're talking about fine margins and whether Porto can get in the playoffs or not. It's a tough one. Um, but yeah, I do I do hope eventually John Marquis does get that run of form where he can replicate that, that Doncaster run. Because he's done it before. He can do it again, surely. Oh, I, think he, I definitely think he can. I don't, I don't think we need to hang out, you know... Don't need to be like, right, that's it. Move on from now. You know, we've got a new management team, a new system. And to be fair to John, he's not played the last three games because of that. He came back into the team, didn't he? Only to be sent off. So it is worth, you know, keeping that in mind, etc. But let's just go to what Lewis said. Lewis, Pete messages in. Cheers, Lewis. He says, I think it has to be Marcus because we literally don't have anyone else with his pedigree. But I don't think he's good enough. And I'll look at seeing how much we could get for him in the summer. Are we? Are you ready to sell John Marquis at a low rate now? Because if we sell him now, I'll be honest, at the end of the summer, we're not going to get much back for him. Yeah, I think over summer, it entirely depends on how the Cowleys feel like he fits into their system of play. So I think over the last few games, it's become apparent which players naturally suit that style of play and which are having to sort of play slightly outside of what their comfort zone was under Kenny Jacket and... I think the next six games will tell us a lot, although that sounds like I'm sitting on the fence a little bit. The next six games are going to tell us a lot as to whether or not Marquis is one of those players when he actually gets a run of a run of games back to back in the side. I mean, you've always got to say, who are you going to replace him with? And if Portsmouth stay in League One for another season, you know, it's not a a golden ticket gig, is it? Coming into play up top for Pompey in, a, in League One and hopefully pushing for the automatics and in reality, probably being around the playoffs it's you know that doesn't really separate out you you out from many other clubs so i think he's as the comments and other comments we've had have sent in have said there there isn't a whole lot of choice right now but i i do still back him to come good he is a confidence player and 
I mean, I've backed him before on the pod and then it led to a good run of form. So I'm hoping to give sort of the, the luck, I don't know what you want to call it, to sort of give it a lucky streak again. But it's just low confidence. He's still getting in the positions. I've said this all before. He's still working hard. He's still getting in the same positions. And having games out due to suspension and injury, and I don't think he's 100% fit because of that ankle. He's. I don't see how he can be. And realistically, he's going through the pain barrier and... Yeah, I think he's still getting in the good positions and all it takes is one moment and it's like a little switch. You flick a switch and hopefully hits a good run of form. I was just really hoping that that penalty would be the moment and it wasn't and I was hoping that the close range head would be the moment and it wasn't. But uh, it's just it comes down to such more fractions, doesn't it? Um, yeah, hopefully play devil's advocate out. a bit. Which Sorry, Fred? I've seen, uh, to play devil's advocate a bit and I've seen some opinions on this. Has Marquis had enough chances where we've seen what player he is? Because there are people still going on about whether he can replicate that form at Doncaster or whether he's seen him enough. This is his second season. So how, uh, can he improve more than he, than he has? Well, he's been playing under jacket before that in a, a striker graveyard style system up front where the only person who worked in that system really before, and this is a bit controversial to say, is Ollie Hawkins with, with the two wide players wide of him. And he was not really a prolific goal scorer, was he? Big up, Ollie. So I don't necessarily think you can say that he's had the two seasons. Yes, he has. But if I was at work and someone said, you've been doing this job for two years, and I said, yeah, under absolutely no resources and a shit system, then I would turn around and say it doesn't necessarily reflect on my talent ability. So I'm going to wait for the Cowleys, who I actually do <coughs> more trust on their opinion and their talent evaluation rather than jackets and let's see if he can turn it round. I don't think we're going to sell him off especially not now what we need to do really is work out this season how can we get him firing because if we can't get him firing and he and he plays at the same level he did in this game you've got to drop him and put someone else up front and you said you weren't sure about Ronan Curtis playing there and he played well in one game and not in the other it's probably right mate but at the end of the day Ronan Curtis played better up front than John Marquis did in the last game. So let's hope that John Marquis can turn around his form going forward. Graham messages in, GRS. Thanks, Graham. And yes, mate, up the Devon Blues. Cheers for you guys for listening. Really appreciate it. I was going to mention it the other day, the love last week, but since I was off ill and uh, Andy was getting his haircut, I didn't really get around to doing it. So yeah, cheers to everyone from the Devon Blues for listening. Hey guys, don't panic. This year, we will get to the playoffs. This time, we'll win all games in the playoffs. By next season, we'll be a championship club with the Cowleys in charge. P.S. Up the Devon Blues. I might have to get some scenic music for the background of that because love it. If that happens, Graham, we're meeting up for a pint and celebrating and I'm going to go, good job, mate. Good shout on the confident prediction when other people aren't being quite as confident. Do you guys feel that we could get on board the Devon Blues train here? 100%. What like there's no reason to write the side off. If you compare to where we were after that EFL or whatever it was, trophy, Papa John's trophy final. I'd read off the season before that, mate. <laughs> yeah, you you had, yeah. And we were must were we tenth potentially and not ninth or tenth and on a downward trend. And at that point, you know, we'd we'd essentially written off even the playoffs. And we're there or thereabouts for a playoff place, and then it is a lottery. And I don't think you can take too much precedent from the last few years because if you look at our playoff record, it's poor from the last few years because of some extremely questionable decisions relating to players like Tom Naylor and Jamal Lowe. And I, I 
don't get the vibe that we're going to get as funky decisions. Horrible flashbacks to those guys. Yeah, sorry, Fred. I can see that you're actually having some sort of PTSD-related issue there. Um, Freddie's kind of got a funny colour on Zoom for those who aren't aren't watching this. But I don't, I don't feel like under the Cowleys we'd have that sort of panicky, let's change everything before the most important games of the season kind of vibe. It just seems a lot more structured. When Marquis has looked good this season, or looked at his best for me, is was playing two up top with Harness. So if there's, towards the end of the season, if we can get a run of games together where Marquis is playing as part of a two up front alongside Williams or Harness, or, you know, obviously it's a bit of a patchwork quilt of a team at the moment because of the injuries, then I, I don't see a reason that we can't carry momentum into the playoffs. If we can sort of carry that on in terms of, you know, the next six, we, let's say, win four, draw one, lose one, that's good momentum to take into the playoffs. And obviously, automatics are basically off the table and only a, a fool would have bet on Pompey going, auto, going up automatically. Yeah, who, who, who would have done that? Like all have, three of us did that? about oh. a week ago. <laughs> <No>. um, <laughs> hashtag bet regret. Oh, don't hashtag Fred, don't be that guy. Uh, but yeah, absolute bet regret. Um, so I think, yeah, if, if we can get into the playoffs with a bit of momentum, which... I think we're about two performances from having that momentum again. And look, two games ago, everyone was thinking, yeah, you know, this is it. Big running. Yeah, two games that we've drawn and lost when, like, on average, I think we'd have won one and drawn one. If we keep that up for the next six games, why can't we take momentum into the playoffs and why can't it be different? All the positivity, lads. It's going to be, mate. I'm all aboard this. And I want to point out the playoff curse, which is something that keeps coming up. Pompey haven't won a playoff game since. I'm not buying this history and I think as a fan base if you don't pile the pressure on because of previous management and previous regimes that have failed to get us promoted via the playoffs or even win a single game during the playoffs we might actually do better without the team having that oh no playoff you know bogey hanging over them and the media are asking them is this finally the time that you win a playoff game and all that malarkey we don't need that let's move on let's be confident let's be honest some of them aren't a good playoff team they're not I, a good playoff team. I do think, yeah. Mm. They're Another loving it. I love it. Yeah, I'm loving the, the fact they drop points. At the moment, we're playing Sunderland, boys. We're happy about that? Thing is, like, if you if you take it to any other job, like any of the jobs that we do for a living, if any of us got judged based on our predecessor's performance, it would be ridiculous. I'm a lecturer, and if someone said, oh, yeah, Andy's running this module, it's going to be rubbish because it was rubbish for the last four years because the person that was there before him did a rubbish job. Just in case anyone from work is listening, not the case. My predecessor was awesome. But like, Lies. if we were ju- <laughs> if we were judged based on that, it would be outrageous. And I don't think it's any different in football. And I know it's slightly different because there are players and there's sort of an overlap of the players who were involved as well. So it's not an exact parallel, but it would be a ridiculous comparison for us. So I I really don't see how we can... As you say, yeah, how some people can write off, oh, we're going to lose in the playoffs anyway because Pompey have never won a playoff leg or whatever. It's something stupid like that, isn't it? Since 1898, we've never won a playoff game. game So, I mean, the first time for everything. I mean, we're getting way down the line here and I'm looking forward to the post-playoff, me walking up and down the road angry, having a a vent again like last season. (laughs) But at this point, I don't, I really don't see the need for negativity. I, or, anything along those lines I'm seeing improvements every game in in some aspects like even between the two games we've reviewed that first game against Burton the back particularly the back two like really struggled against the high press and I genuinely thought 
Raggett and Watmore were better against um, Crew, who were also trying to put pressure on them and close down the short play out from the goalkeeper. And it's kind of not been mentioned because of the fact that it was a bit of a drab game. But I thought that was a real improvement and other problems have taken the heat off it. But there are improvements in every single game. So I, I know that there is a bit of sort of little murmurings of negativity and it's all aimed towards, by the look of it, players rather than the management team at the moment because, you know, the Cowleys have inherited the squad. But I don't even think there's really that much need for negativity. I'm, I'm bringing the positivity this week, lads. I think we all are, Andy, to be honest, mate. We're all going for it. I'm feeling good about the team. I'm feeling good if we do make the playoffs. If we do, let's say, if we do, hopefully we do. But yeah, no, I'm um, I'm feeling the positivity, as I said. But let's move on quickly because Graham Underwood messages in. Thanks, Graham. He says, give young Alfie a go. Obviously, to most people, Marcus has gone past his best by day. Now, Alfie Stanley, play, I've seen play a bit and I really rate Alfie. I think he's a good player. He scored against Millwall the other day in the reserves game. Danny Cowley obviously rates him, bringing him onto the bench now as, as the option. I know he's a bit strikerless, but he said before that he thinks Alfie's um, looking good and developing our young players, which got to say, we're real big fans of on the podcast. So cheers for that. I think Stanley's got to be come off the bench. John's not doing well. He's missed a few chances. You know, you might come to a level at 70, 80 minutes where you decide to switch it up in the next game and give Alfie a run out. But I don't see it happening at the moment. Um, from a starting basis, I think that'd be a, a wild, spicy take if he decides to start Alfie Stanley up front against MK Dons, who effectively have three players playing at the back, which we'll get into in the preview. That'd be quite difficult for a young striker to play up against three centre-backs, would you reckon, Fred? Yeah, I think it's going to be very difficult for him. Um, by all means, bring him on in the second half when when the other players are a bit leggy and he could he, he could... Really, really gets the right opportunity. I think starting him is a bit much at this point. And also, I think dropping Marcus at this point, when there's no other options, dropping your your key striker for a, for a player that's coming out of the youth team, you might create problems there, depending on depending on characters. But no, I, I, I wouldn't mind at all seeing Alfie Stanley giving a run out against MK Dons. Absolutely. Maybe both of them together, or Alfie Stanley coming on with... Williams or Harness just behind him isometrically. I think it can work okay. Yeah, I think so too. Jim Stebbing is in. He says, afraid not. Being a great disappointment. Lost us valuable points all season. Well, Jim, he has also won us some valuable points this season. I do agree. We spoke about his expected goals. So understand where you're coming from there, mate. Maybe you're XG nerding it up. Uh, Alfredo20 messages in. He says, give Alfie Stanley a go up top against MK. I think he deserves a go after the shocker Marquis had against Crew. I mean, maybe we play Alfie up front with him. Let's drop Ryan Williams, put put um, Harness on one wing, Curtis on the other, Alfie Stanley up front. What do you say, boys? Does two up top work, do you think, with the way that um, the Cowleys like to play? Do you think? I know, I know they don't. I know they don't. That they said in the interview we did with them, plugging that as you. We're going to be plugging that all, all year, by the way. Um, <laughs> that they're not they're not solely focused on positions; they're focused on the way that the players play. But do you think that Portsmouth would miss a bit of creativity if Stanley and Marcus on the are on the pitch and say Williams or Harness is benched to cover that? I don't know. I don't know. If I don't think they'll do that. I think it's more of a it's not working at the moment. Let's change it up and let's put two strikers up top. Is what I reckon will happen later on in the game rather than starting with that system. But decent idea. Pompey Dog messages in Curtis. All day, every day, he says. Um, yeah, I can see that. I think Curtis actually, 
grabbed the responsibility of playing up front. He did well against Rochdale. He charged the ball down very well. You heard Danny Cowley from the, from the touchlines. Yes, Ronan Curtis. That was the thing he loved most about the move, I think, for the goal. Um, I think Ronan can play up front fine. Problem is, we don't have a left midfielder now with um, with Michael Jacobs out. So then you have to either... Then you'd, you'd, have, right. you'd have to put Williams on his wrong side. Then you'd have yes, to put exactly. Cannon in the or, middle. Or Harvey White. Yeah, or, again, or Harvey, White Harvey White can play wide left again, but I just still think he's more of a central midfielder. He uh, look if it works up front with the strikers, and Harvey White plays on the left, I'm not too worried about that. I think his passing's good. I think he can move through the thirds with his passing. I think it would be a, a would be a benefit. But yeah, yeah, I think that could be an issue. Um, Luke Ellis's mess. Luke Ellis messages in. Thanks, Luke, mate. He says, "Hope so." High five. Well, we do too, Luke. As you can tell by listening to the podcast, we want John Marcus to get firing as well. Um, and lastly, the guys in the MK1 podcast, who Liam is about to join, so what a segue, uh, turn around and say, put Charlie Daniels up top. No? No one's even going to talk about that? No one's even going to jump in? You want to keep jumping, looking at me? I think, I think the silence said everything, really. Well, I'll be honest, I responded by saying they pretty couldn't handle his rapid movement up front. So uh, suck it, MK, on that one. All right, so let's move into the next part of the show. I'm going to welcome Liam from the MK1 podcast. They're a good podcast, lads. Go check them out for everything MK Dons related. Also part of the Fan Hub team. So uh, yeah, a bit of quality there, but let's get into it. And let's welcome Liam from the MK1 podcast podcast all right i'm here with liam from the mk1 podcast and liam thanks for coming on the show yeah no worries thanks for having me again nice one mate so let's get into it so we had you on the show before earlier in the season when we played you guys you got you know martin in russ the man the manager he stamped a really nice playing philosophy on the team which we're you know we're starting to see a little bit more with pompey but passing out from the back but tell us mate how does that work for mk dons and has that been a real good reason for your resurgence up the league yeah i mean i suppose it's just time really you know time sort of fixes everything i suppose and at the start of the season we you played us we had well it was still Lee nichols in goal who quite frankly isn't very good in this system um i think our whole back three minus lewington wasn't actually at the club um so, yeah, I think it's just been the keeper. Obviously, Andrew Fisher gets involved in a lot of it. He's half his team out, so basically a right back this these days, this season. Um, and yeah, it's all about high risk, high reward football, which, as you saw against Tuesday against Lincoln at times, doesn't pay off. But as we've seen in other games this season, it works like a gem. Um, and it's just trying to master that and nature i suppose in the right way and that's going to take time i'm sure it'll take time with you boys as well in terms of trying to work that but of course you started off well maybe minus the last few results um so yeah i mean it, there's no massive, massive rush to get results for us of course this season's kind of null and void now really we're not really playing for too much um but all eyes on next season and that's where we're sort of heading really so do you think the fact that you're not focusing in on this season it's more of a Let's see what's working. How the hell can we get Will Grigg to score goals without a partner up front? Is is that a case that we Pompey can take advantage of that? You know, a team like Lincoln, who maybe were falling out of the playoff race a bit with their bad form, and did they want it more than you? Is that going to be the case on Saturday? Um, I mean, if if you believe what the players say, they still want it, especially earlier in the season. Um, I personally find it hard to believe that every single player in that squad wants it as much as they did earlier in the season. 
obviously it's a player's long-term future like of course Harry Darling who spoke at the pressure after the game he's a long-term player here Zach Jules will be the same Matt O'Reilly etc etc but other players whose futures aren't exactly secure I I struggle to believe that their desires are what they were at the start of the season and that can trickle down um, I don't believe it will do to the effects of this squad if Russ Martin is a brilliant manager as on many Pompey fans wanted him here in the first place um, his philosophy has been Going really well. Um, considering we were bottom of the league in October, the fact that we're well, in some in some fans' views, we're challenging for the playoffs at one point. Uh, just shows you how far this team's come. And we had was it 14 player transactions? So, but yeah, definitely chance to take opportunities for sure. You know, we were speaking on our uh, our podcast to you about whether we should go back to the three five two. Um, it's what we talked about just in our sort of part one as well with myself, Ross and Joe. So yeah, experimenting. Will we got front on his own? Is it very good in my opinion? Um, and we even got as far as trying inverted wing backs. So yeah, we're trying all sorts of things. And if Pompey set up correctly, which I'm sure they will with Cowley or the Cowleys at the helm, then they could take advantage for sure. You mentioned Russell Martin trying a lot of things. I remember this, the interview that got went semi-viral on, viral on Twitter with certain fans complaining about him not having a plan B. And he was very vehement in how much he supported the way that MK Dons play generally. Do, do you feel exactly the same? And do you think next season it's a long-term boon for the club, the way that he's got this MK Dons side playing at times? 100%. And, you know... It, we've seen since that press conference, we've seen a switch from the three-five-two to the box midfield or the three-five-one-one. So we've been playing four left-footed midfielders in Andrew Sermon, Josh McEachern, and Matty Riley, and Scott Fraser, all in the same midfield. Um, and that's not necessarily a plan B; it's just a plan A two point oh. Um, and he'll never revert to going to four-four-two. And as you know, like Gillian do with Valentin and Oliver, just lumping it up to him, him nodding it onto, say, for example, Graham, and then they do that sort of thing. That will never happen here. Um, and I think Russell will take that to uh, his MK Don's grave if he has to. Um, but I don't think that'll ever be the case. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course, when someone's adamant on a, on a sort of philosophy, it it gets a lot of plaudits. And of course, there's a lot of professionals applauding that as well. Um, for the likes of Robert Snodgrass, etc. So, yeah, he got a lot of eyes on the club for sure. And the way we've been playing, you know, especially during the international breaks earlier in the season, we saw a lot of eyes on them as well. And that only benefits us. That could bring in lone players like we saw the likes of Brandon Johnson and Morgan Rogers. And it's in the second half, really tear us apart, quite frankly, in terms of what they did goals wise. So, hopefully, we can attract that type of player to our club in the coming seasons and uh, make a push up the league. Andy, are you just going to sit there? Yeah, I'll jump in. Why not? <laughs> just, saying, just to calmly listening. Um, Liam, what would you say that the, the the side of the Pompey is that MK Dons are likely to be looking to exploit this weekend? Is there anything you've identified in the Pompey lineup where you think the side will have identified where potentially you're maybe one of your focal points or you're particularly strong and maybe it's a bit of an Achilles heel in the Pompey lineup on paper? Um. I suppose our wing play is probably our most our pivotal uh, elements. We have you know, Manchester United Loney, Ethan Laird on the right-hand side, who's had a stellar season since coming in. First few games, he was a bit off for me. Defensively, wasn't amazing. But since then, and since working with the assistant coach, he's been really, really good. Uh, but attacking-wise, he's always had the talent. So him versus a you know older Charlie Daniels, who, from what I've heard from Hugh, is a less, less mobile and 
you know, is, is a veteran at the end of the day. So that could be a key battle. And maybe Pompey need to sort of, you know, work on that going into the week. I'm sure they are because it's the Cowley brothers. Um, and it's obviously Matty Sonrod on the other side who came back in on Tuesday, is a brilliant crosser of the ball, one of the best at the club easily. Um, and he's been attracting championship interests from his talents. So if he keeps his spot from Tuesday, that's an interesting point of view because he's an inverted winger himself. So he'll be cutting in on his right hand, right, right foot, sorry. Put your crosses in um, and hopefully Wilbur can get on them. But yeah, wing back definitely in terms of areas we look to exploit. And I think if David Kasumu gets more game time, he's quite an aggressive player in the midfield. And from what I've seen of Pompey, I'm not exactly too sure that they've got that aggressiveness that David Kasumu has. Um, and of course, see, I think I believe he's joint top for yellow cards in the league Kasumu alongside Stuart O'Keefe, who and Kasumu hasn't even played a lot of games this season. So um, that just shows you he likes to tackle and he'll be willing to do everything for the team. There's one player you didn't mention who I want to know a bit more about, Scott Fraser. I wanted Portsmouth to sign Scott Fraser last season, or this season and last season for that matter. He's up there in terms of creative statistics. For me, he's still very underrated. How integral is he to this MK Don side? Um, I think the first six, seven months, he was he was MK Don's, quite frankly. Um, you know, he was top for goals top for assists top for dribbles he's still, well, he's still second in the league for dribbles I think only Dembele is beating him by beating everyone really Dembele by a country mile over the past two months or so and especially since the induction of Matt O'Reilly Scott Fraser's taken a bit more of a back seat it's not necessarily a bad thing because you know Scott was so immense at the start of the season and really he dragged us through games quite frankly of his skill and there's still you can still see the skill there uh, even against Tuesday against Lincoln where everyone had a bad game really apart from maybe uh, Saranola um, but I think he's he stopped carrying the Don's team on his backpack um, and you know with more technical players or equally technical players like Matt O'Reilly coming in who can play opposite him in the box um, he's letting do his thing and Whilst him becoming passenger isn't a bad thing in a sense, um, of course, there's been questions over his commitment recently, which I think is outrageous, quite frankly. Um, and yeah, I think he's still a danger no matter who we play against, who we play against, and the way he's played, quite frankly. I mean, he's a professional player, but you know, when you're Pompey bound, you know, you might have your head turned, right? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Yeah, that but Pompey fans, that's no information in that. So please don't at me at Fred. He's the one with the, the, one with the transfer tip. <laughs> um, okay, cool. I mean, it's one of those things I think with you guys that both teams are going to be trying to play out from the back. Obviously, we know MK do that, pass the ball very nicely. It should be a nice game to watch, but with both teams sort of struggling to score. So Liam, I know what your score prediction is because we just discussed it on the other podcast. Go and check it out, Pompey fans at MK1 podcast yeah my house is my head's all over the place so Liam here we are mate what is your score prediction for the game on Saturday which is an early kickoff against Pompey yeah so as you mentioned both teams are in to score goals but I feel with the predicted start 11 I did pick an introduction of David Kasumu a bit more aggression in midfield a uh, bit more of a reaction from Tuesday which quite frankly was poor the second half so I've gone with a 2-1 Milton Keenstone's win cool I think that I've already said this, so I'll say it out, boys, and we'll go to your predictions at the end. But I'm going for a 2-1 Pompey win. Um, so we flip-flop the result. I do think this is the most difficult game we've got for the rest of the season, lined up out of all the fixtures we played. 
And it's just going to be down to the fact of which team can pass their way through each other and which team can press and win the ball back. Um, then there's, you know, you're struggling with strikers. We're struggling with strikers. Who can take their chances? Um, and I think it's going to be a really tight game. Um, yeah, cool. So Liam, tell the Pompey fans where they can find you. Yes, so as you said, you said yourself, you are MK1 Podcasts on Twitter. And if you do the same search, MK1 Podcasts on your preferred podcast platforms, we'll be there. Nice one. Nice one. All right, mate. Thanks again for coming back on the show. Really appreciated. Yeah, no worries. Nice one. This podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub 100. Football without fans is nothing. So we've partnered with Fan Hub to put fans first. Search Fan Hub app to play your part in the journey. Thanks, Liam, for coming on the podcast. And yeah, go check out their stuff at MK1 Podcast. Um, they do some really great stuff. Right. So I've already given my prediction, and that's because I went on their podcast as well to do a half an hour preview, which is far better than what we've done, so check it out. And then, right, I've given my pre- my prediction to one Pompey. I'm going to send it around the table to you lads, starting with Freddie Webb. Freddie, what is your score prediction and the goal scorers, please, for the game against MK Dons? It's going to be a very even game, I think. Um both play- both players have got key- of um, both sides have got key players missing. Excuse me, Cameron Jerome's not playing for MK Dons. I think that's going to be a massive miss. Um, yeah, but but you, you can't count uh, count them out due to the way they play, due to the way they move the ball ball forward and create chances. They're always going to have goals in their locker, and it proved in the last game. Portsmouth have had have had the chances to score goals, but they just haven't taken them so far. I don't think that's going to continue. I'm going to go for a three-two Portsmouth win, with Marquis, Curtis, and Harness all getting one goal each. I would love that. the big triumvirate there, Fred. Yeah, so the, the third, the third tri- third triumvirate that is Marquis, <laughs> Harness, and Curtis. Yeah. Uh, a Roman history reference. I love that. Uh, it's very niche. Very, very niche. Yeah, I didn't get it. Andy, let's go to you, mate. Score prediction time, please, mate. What, you, you're saying that Roman references don't make good pod material. Um, unbelievable. I'm starting to doubt your taste, bud. Well, I like horrible I'm an, history. I'm an ancient, I'm an ancient history man, so I do love <laughs> Roman references. Um, okay, I, yeah. I'm going 2-1 Pompey win. I think that Marcus has scored both of them. And I do think we are... Vulnerable, as you've mentioned, Hugh, down the left side defensively. So I think that's where the goal we concede will come from. But I do think we'll get three points. Oh, yeah. I've already said a 2-1 Pompey win. What I'll say, though, to caveat that is really... Liam predicted a 2-1 on their podcast and the other guy predicted a 1-0. It was very tight. And I think the game will be tight. 2-1, John Marquis and Ronan Curtis to score. Let's go, boys. And do you know what? I'll, let's get Will Green a goal. You know, as long as we win, that's just funny when talking to people from Sunderland. Goal, yeah? <laughs> they can get what? Sorry? Just give him a goal, yeah? <laughs> right at the end. Let's just let him tap it in just so we can laugh at Sunderland a bit more. But that's about all the time we've got for now. So, Freddie, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, always a pleasure, Hugh. Thanks for having me back on. Um, for, for people who want any more ports of writing, I'll be doing something different over the next few weeks. Uh, you may see me in some different places, so we'll see how that goes. Are you going to tell the listeners where those places are? I don't think it's going to be a, a big surprise by the time it comes out. Oh, I might as well, yeah. Um, I'll be doing a placement with the news for two weeks. So hopefully I can offer something different and hopefully I can essentially write articles that you guys will be interested in. Their, their coverage is still very good. I just hope I can add a bit more. I'm sure be, everyone will be interested in reading your stuff, mate. Um, cool. Ooh. 
Cool. I need to stream my microphone. Uh, thanks for being on the show, Andy Mitchmore. Thanks, Hugh. Um, over the next couple of weeks, I will be doing precisely the same as I always do. And um, you will not be able to find me anywhere other than the podcast. So that's my <laughs> contribution to the world. <laughs> And likewise, I'll be doing exactly the same, but probably with more alcohol, considering the world's opened up again. But thanks, everyone, for listening. And until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.